Hello and welcome to the third season of How Does the Social Work, the podcast that brings the social back into social work. Our previous season was a collaboration between Brunel University social work students and the Ginger Giraffe user-led cooperative. In this season, our students take full control of the podcast. So, are you ready? Here we go. episode of a new season how does the social work in this season we will take an international perspective on anti-racist social work my name is Radhika and I am a second year postgraduate social work student at Brunel University London I will be co-hosting today's episode with Tianga who is a first year social work student at Brunel University welcome Tianga hello our guest today for today's episode is Dr. Charlotte Tussauri, who is a social work lecturer at Western Sydney University. Dr. Charlotte recently published, Is It Indigenization or Decolonization of Social Work in Africa? A focus on Uganda. We are here to hear all about it. We will provide a link to the article in the show's comments. Hello, Dr. Charlotte. Can you please start by introducing yourself and what brought you to be interested in this area? And can you also give a brief summary of your article? Thank you so much, uh, Rafiga and Tiengo, for inviting me. Uh, my name is Dr. Charlotte Tussasirwe, and uh, I come from Uganda. And I'm now based in, uh, in Australia, where I'm teaching social work at Western Sydney University. So um, I've been uh, born and raised in Uganda. I've done my bachelor's degree uh, in social work in Uganda, and then also a master's degree in social work in uh, Sweden, University of Gothenburg. And I've just completed my PhD uh, from Australia, and the focus has been on decolonizing social work based on the experiences of older women and social, work, and social workers from Uganda. So um, I've been writing about decolonizing social work. I've been writing about uh, uh, social work education and social work curriculum uh, because I have been studying uh, in, uh, from Uganda, Sweden, Australia, and uh, all that in most of the curriculum, in most of the reading lists that we've had, uh, you know, in the different subjects of social work that I have pursued, I've rarely seen uh, indigenous knowledges or African indigenous knowledges, uh, you know, drawn on in our social work teaching and also in practice. So I've grown up pretty much reading textbooks, um, reading uh, in English or reading social work concepts that are mostly English, that uh, I've uh, struggled to actually connect to my Ugandan upbringing and also the Ugandan communities that are really at the forefront of meeting the social problems that social workers uh, you know, respond to. So this is the reason why I have decided to go into exploring social work knowledge and social work curriculum, exploring what gets included on the reading list or what gets valued in uh, you know in in the different uh, channels where we we disseminate social work knowledge, be it in PhD research, in dissertations, in journal articles, I'm here exploring what kind of knowledge gets accepted there, gets recognized, and what kind of knowledge gets 
uh, you know, devalued or dismissed and why that happens and to find out ways in which we can actually achieve uh, the diversity and respect or justice for the diverse knowledges that we have in our communities. So that's, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, uh, the motivation for engaging in, uh, you know, in decolonizing social work. And I'm writing about decolonizing and indigenizing social work in, in, in Africa, but looking at the Ugandan context. And in this article, is it decolonization or indigenization of social work in Africa, a focus on Uganda? Um, you know, um, I've, uh, when I was analyzing uh, on, and also reviewing literature for my PhD research, uh, most of the social work literature was, uh, you know, talking about indigenizing and decolonizing social work. And they were using these two approaches and two concepts were being used interchangeably, you know, and it really left me very confused uh, regarding if these two approaches are similar. And uh, when I read uh, some, and when I went, so when I went, I went deeply to analyze uh, what indigenization and decolonization, uh, you know, really means. I found uh, that indigenization and decolonization, for sure, they are really interrelated. You know, they are they they, they are closely connected because these are approaches that have been proposed, uh, you know, especially in African contexts to bring about uh, contextually appropriate and culturally appropriate social work, uh, you know, in African context. But although these uh, you know, approaches are interrelated, they are very different. And the processes are also very different. And that's why in this article, I'm actually arguing and advocating for the need to decolonize first before we engage in indigenization. And I will just explain a little bit more about the difference between uh, indigenization and decolonization. So uh, indigenization, as we write about it in the Ugandan and mostly African context, indigenization is about uh, you know, fitting imported models or imported theories, mostly from the West, uh, fitting them into uh, the local context or the African, uh, the African context. And uh, it, you also, when you're reading, you often uh, meet uh, you know, concepts like you adapt or you modify uh, the imported theories or imported knowledges, you modify them to fit into the local uh, you know, African context. And uh, also in addition to adapting and modifying uh, you know, borrowed or West, uh, Western social work theories, practices, and even models to fit into the Ugandan context, indigenization also includes generation, respect, and integration of the indigenous models of helping or indigenous helping processes uh, to establish or form the culturally relevant uh, you know, practice. But when we talk of in integrating or adapting or modifying imported, no imported models uh, to fit into what we call mainstream social work, in the Ugandan context, mainstream social work is actually white Western social work. So social work that is embedded in Western theories, uh, Western worldviews, Western ways of knowing, Western ways uh, of conceptualizing uh, social work. So uh, 
what gets integrated into are the indigenous models or indigenous ways uh, of being that are embedded in in local people's uh, philosophies and ways uh, you know of responding to problems. But for me, I see there there is a problem there if you just integrate indigenous models of helping or indigenous ways of helping into the mainstream white Western way of doing social work or conceptualizing social work. And I argue otherwise, that the reverse should happen. Uh, it should be the white Western ways of conceptualizing social work that gets integrated into the indigenous uh, models or indigenous ways of doing uh, conceptualizing social work especially for the Ugandan context, because the communities that are being served are actually uh, they, their ways of being, their ways of helping their worldviews need to be centered. And any other external worldviews should actually be integrated uh, you know, where, wherever they are necessary. So what, in fact, I'm advocating for is changing the status quo, dismantling the status quo where there is a centering of indigenous social work, indigenous ways of responding to social problems in, embedded in the indigenous philosophies. That should be the mainstream. And you can only achieve this if you engage in that decolonization where you, you, you challenge the status quo, you, you start to dismantle the status quo, you start to dissenter, uh, you know, dissenter the white Western ways of uh, conceptualizing social work, which for so long have been uh, regarded as the legitimate social work or legitimate ways of doing social work, even in contexts like Africa, where you know several social workers have actually pointed out that uh, you know these Western ways of uh, doing social work are, are not culturally appropriate and are not uh, contextually relevant. So. Um, I define decolonization as having two sides. The first uh, side is to look at uh, questioning and challenging and centering the current privileging of white Western worldviews and ways of knowing and conceptualizing social work. And this is because uh, they are inapplicable and they're culturally inappropriate, especially in African context. And the second part of decolonization is actually articulate and center uh, the alternative knowledge systems and constructions of social work that are more relevant uh, to the people, the African people, their needs, their, their values, their cultural values, their uh, philosophies. Okay, I think I'll, I'll ask the first question and then Tiango will follow, but um, you make some really good points there. And my question from that is, how do we practically challenge the Western way of doing social work to make sure social work is contextually relevant? Like what, what advice would you give to those that are seeking to change social work models to be more relevant to the context of the culture? Yes, so I, I, I thank you so much uh, for, that, for that question. And I will, uh, in, in, this, in this article, I am actually talking about what needs to be uh, it needs what needs to be challenged or what needs to be uh, to be rethought, especially in social work education and and practice because education actually influences how uh, practice will turn out. 
So I, I write about my own experiences where in, uh, in all my education, my social work education, it has mostly been Western theories that have been uh, in Western theories and Western literature that have been centered, uh, that have uh, formed, they have been included on the reading list. And rarely do you see uh, readings from, uh, you know, Southern authors, uh, you know, African authors, for example. Uh, you know, rarely do you see the orature. For us in, in Uganda, in, African, uh, in, in Africa, we call it orature, which is the indigenous knowledge that includes, like, uh, the proverbs, uh, that includes the, the stories, uh, you know, which is, you know, our way of knowing, our way of, uh, of, of learning. They, we learn through the stories, uh, stories that have been uh, told to us, the proverbs that have been uh, told to us. That's when you talk to an African in the community, especially when they're speaking in their indigenous language, you will hear mostly how they use proverbs, how they use metaphors. But when you come to social work, this kind of literature or this kind of social work uh, knowledge, which is very, very instrumental in our communities where we end up going to work, which is the language that the communities speak, we rarely see it in, uh, you know, in social work education. And one practical way is to actually say, hey, what we are teaching, the knowledges that we, we, we are giving our students, are actually are leaving out some very important knowledges that they would find in the community. So one way is actually uh, revalue uh, the orature, the stories, the proverbs, and and also advocate that this kind of knowledge is included in uh, you know in our social work teachings. I don't know what's happening at Brunel. I don't know uh, when you look at your reading list. Uh, when you look at the authors that you are, you know, you are referring uh, referring to, uh, where are they from? We all know that knowledge is culturally and socially constructed, and the the authors that you're reading from are actually privileging the voices and experiences of the context that they come from. So it's very important that we have that diversity in knowledge when we are teaching uh, our social work students, because they will end up uh, meeting communities that have the diversity in, uh, you know, in, in different ways of knowing, uh, which they probably wouldn't have drawn on uh, in, the, in the curriculum. So one practical way is to have uh, the curriculum that, that, that values diverse uh, knowledges, and including indigenous knowledge, including oration, uh, uh, including origin, especially in African context. The second, uh, the second, uh, you know, practical way of actually decolonizing or challenging uh, the centering of white Western theories, knowledges, and ways of conceptualizing social work is to look at the approach of teaching. In Uganda, I talk about the banking model of teaching, where we the banking model is where they teach you to you know, to read textbooks or read, uh, you know, read social work literature, which you must reproduce in an exam. And uh, it is pretty much like how you, 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 you think about the analogy of banking. You deposit money and then you go and deposit your coins and then you go and uh, withdraw them. So we used to read uh, textbooks 
and then you you're forced to cram you're forced to remember what you have read and this is what you reproduce in like a three-hour exam that kind of uh you know examination is very common in uh you know in in in, uh, in most of our countries in africa but also i've had uh, some students here at western from india and nepal also talking about the same uh, the same approach so such kind of teaching uh, you know, this kind of approach, it does not encourage thinking. It only encourages remembering and reproducing what your teacher has, you know, has taught you. And uh, this kind of teaching, this approach of teaching, which does not really encourage reimagination, uh, rethinking, uh, where you're cramming the, 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 the texts you've been reading, which are from Western authors, uh, for me, if we challenge that kind of teaching and we encourage one where uh, the students are positioned as co-teachers who have lived experience that is valued, who have knowledge, diverse knowledge from their different communities uh, that is valued and that is welcome in a teaching, uh, you know, in a, a teaching or a classroom context. I think that kind of approach that encourages learning from students, much as they are also learning from, uh, you know, from the lecturers, uh, will help us in decentering, uh, decentering, and also centering the diversity of knowledges that our social work students bring in the classroom. I actually apply this kind of approach here in uh, in Australia, and then uh, uh, because Australian social workers, we have very many international students. And international students come with a lot of knowledge. They come with a lot of experience. They come with uh, with a lot of ideas, uh, models in uh, indigenous models in how on how their communities are responding to social problems. But if we have an education system that does not value this kind of knowledge which they have, this is why you often find uh, you know some social work lecturers complaining that our international students uh, they don't contribute in class, they have no knowledge of social work uh, in these uh, in, in developed countries, and that's because we are not valuing the knowledge of social work as informed by their own contexts. There is a way social work is uh, is uh, perpetuating what we call epistemic racism. Epistemic racism is it, it manifests when you look at what is regarded as legitimate ways of knowing and forms of knowledge in social work. It manifests when you look at what knowledges or which knowers or expertise gets valued and which one gets devalued you know, in social work, which knowledge is recognized as legitimate or social work proper, as uh, one of the, you know, the authors calls it. So if we still have that epistemic racism where we value, where we privilege, uh, for example, Western ways of conceptualizing ethical practice, and we forget that our different cultures actually will conceptualize ethics differently, this is when we will have uh, you know, a social work classroom that is, that is perpetuating uh, or showing value or privileging one knowledge system and one, uh, one worldview uh, 
and all silencing or marginalizing the diversity of knowledge that exists in the classroom. So the approach to teaching, the value and revaluing of social work literature, diverse social work literature and knowledges, especially knowledges from the South, is very, very important uh, for us to, uh, to, eat, to decolonize uh, social work. Um, <clears throat> thank you again. Um, I it's, it is very interesting um, to hear you talk about this, um, but I wanted us to go a little bit um, back and 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 find out more about social work in Uganda. So, in terms of trying to put this into context, so what is the the journey? What's the history of social work in Uganda? Um, and maybe you may want to pick this together with the point relating to sort of what is what place does he occupy, does social work occupy within sort of Ugandan social political system today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Tienga, for, uh, you know, helping us to uh, take it a little bit back. Uh, I've often been asked that question of what is the history of social work uh, in Uganda. And my guess is always that people are interested in the history of colonial social work or Western social work in Uganda, uh, which was introduced around uh, the 1950s by uh, the British uh, the British colonial administration, because what is what gets defined as social work is actually social work that is confined in the institutions of Western modernity, and that is uh, mostly the government social work done by you know, the government and also uh, non-governmental organizations. And this is the social work which was introduced by the British in, in the, 19, uh, the 1950s. And, um, but this colonial social work or Western social work or the mainstream social work which gets recognized as uh, you know, legitimate social work, it found when there was indigenous social work systems in place. But these indigenous social work systems in place were never recognized, they were devalued, they were left in the margins and displaced by uh, the colonial systems that were introduced. So governments uh, was introduced, government ministries, for example, were established. You have the, 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 the central government, in the city, which is responsible for making uh, the laws that govern social workers. And then you have the local government that is uh, responsible for the implementation of those laws that, uh, you know, the, the local government interacts directly with, uh, you know, with the communities. So this, this government-led social work uh, was introduced in 1950s. Uh, but this government-led social work displaced the indigenous social work, which is led mostly by the community and, and is embedded in the family system. And when we talk about family in Ugandan context, we are mostly talking about the extended family, uh, which is different in Western context. When you talk about family, the first uh, way of thinking goes to the nuclear family. So the extended family, the kinship, the community, and the mutual aid uh, groups that exist in these communities uh, comprise the indigenous social work, which was displaced when colonial social work uh, that centers the government, that centers 
non-governmental organizations, uh, you know, was introduced in the 1950s. But so when you ask me what is the place of social work uh, in, in today's or Uganda's social political system and context, social work remains an elitist uh, profession. It's mostly an urban-based profession where you have, uh, I'll give an example of NGOs, they will have their main office uh, or head office established in the city. And then they have what they call community outreaches, where they go to the, you know, to, to the rural areas to do work, and then they come back to the city, uh, you know, where they, they have their established offices. So this uh, colonial or Western social work remains mostly urban, uh, you know, urban-based. It most it is mostly case-oriented or remedial, and it takes a very uh, you know individualistic approach in the way uh, it responds to social problems uh, in Uganda. So, uh, and when we talk about, uh, you know, social work education as well, uh, it, which influences social work practice, we talk about the curriculum uh, that is mostly privileging uh, Western theories, Western concepts, Western models, and Western, uh, you know, Western ways of doing and conceptualizing social work, because this is what is recognized as legitimate social work. And we talk about, you know, social work education and also associations that look up to the international associations. They want to be recognized, uh, you know, internationally, which really influences so much what they teach or what they recognize, uh, you know, as, uh, as social work. So I should say social work still struggles with its domestic identity because, uh, for example, the word social work or social worker, you know, it lacks an equivalent translation in 56 languages, uh, local languages that, that exist in Uganda. When you ask people, what do you call a social worker or who is, what is social work in your local language? It, people will find it very, very difficult to actually translate I, you know, translate this local, you know, you know, this concept into a local language. So social work is still struggling with uh, its domestic, uh, you know, domestic identity. It's not really well known uh, in the community. So that's why I say it remains an elitist, uh, you know, profession, uh, you know, that is, uh, you know, that is still, uh, still developing, still trying to find, uh, you know, its place. And I think because it remains urban based, while the community, 80% of the community is rural-based, you know, it maintains that individualistic focus in a society that is more communal. And that's because of the, the, that Western, Western orientation. That is still, it is what is driving this movement or this advocacy for creating social work that is culturally appropriate, that is contextually relevant, or that speaks to the needs of the African people, the African communities, or social work that is embedded in the African cultural values. So that's why uh, there is, I think there is now increase in literature and uh, social workers doing research, uh, exploring uh, what culturally appropriate social work might look like. I know this debate has not started today. It has been in existence for over you know, uh, 50 years or so. And we have so many African uh, social workers like Osei Wedi, um, 
uh, Twitchirize, uh, you know, who have been writing about the need for indigenizing uh, social work, the need for decolonizing social work, to have a social work that is really domestic, a social work that is embedded in and respectful uh, of the cultural aspects and cultural values and philosophies of the African people. So that's, you know, that's briefly where, where we are at. Thank you very much for that um, for that point. And I, and I just want to follow up because I think I still want to sort of understand who who does what and what role we can all play in shaping um, this discourse. And so I sort of wonder, so what, what stake does the state have in shaping up social work domestically? I think the state uh, would have a very, uh, you know, a very important role in shaping social policies, for example, uh, social policies, or even uh, recognizing social work, you know, as uh, as a profession. Uh, if it really, if the representatives or the people in the state really understood this social work, and I think for us to uh, for 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 people in the government to understand social work then we need to see social work that is that is understood in that is embedded in philosophies of the people in the communities social work that is translated in a local in a, in, in a local language so if, as long as we are still uh, you know you, you know we are still privileging this foreign concept that is lacking translation, this foreign concept that is uh, more of you know elite, that is serving the, the elite class of people, which anyway reflects the, the colonial history. Uh, if we still have these policies that serve the, the sort of the middle class, then it will still be a challenge uh, you know, for, for the state and also for the people in the communities for that mass power to actually uh, recognize uh, social work as you know as uh, as a profession so i think the number one challenge that we have is for the social workers in uganda to come up with a culturally appropriate social work that they would be able to convince the state and the government uh, you know to recognize you know as uh, as a as a profession that is powerful that is making an uh, impact in the needs of the you know needs of the of the community so we have a profession where social workers are being trained but they they are not really occupying the jobs that a social worker would be occupying these jobs are actually being occupied by uh, you know by people from other professions and 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 who they are the ones making the policies uh you know the policies which would be made uh which are meant to be made by social workers who would people put people at the center so I would say the state is still, uh, you know, it, it, it still has a big role, but also my take, especially, uh, you know, with my research that I've done on the influence of international community, the, the, is, the state in Uganda still has influence, is still being highly influenced by international partners. They call them international development partners. And these are international institutions like uh, like uh, International Monetary Fund, IMF, World Bank, uh, organizations like uh, United Nations, also GFID, so the British uh, 
uh, Department for Foreign Development. So there is still a lot of international influence from what I'm calling the former colonizers. So, and these former colonizers have the financial privilege and they still determine or they still set the agenda. So the state in Uganda still relies heavily on international aid, on influence from donors who set the agenda, who determine what kind of models should be used, who set the systems. So it's still donor-led and we still see aspects of neocolonialism. Uh, manifested in the way the state is operating and the way social work uh, in the different government ministries, uh, you know, operates. So there is still neocolonialism, which means that the state is not really promoting indigenous social work because of its reliance on international on international aid and international uh, development partners. So this is why I'm saying that when if we uh, we had achieved culturally appropriate social work in a Ghanaian context, there must, be, uh, there must be partnership from the international community uh, where there is recognition and acknowledgement of you know, complicity in colonization, especially where organizations are imposing uh, you know, aid, imposing their funds, but also determining uh, the agenda, determining the priorities, determining what kind of uh, methods for evaluation, for implementation, uh, you know, get used uh, to, you know, to, to, to implement whatever initiatives these organizations, uh, you know, want to. I'll give an example, uh, and, and, and this is an example that, uh, that I've written about in, uh, in, in some of my publications. The British DFID introduced social protection, uh, you know, cash transfers for older people in Uganda, but, when they introduced these cash transfers or some sort of pension where all the people are paid around $10, uh, you know, $10 per month, uh, the, the whole, the whole uh, grant or the whole program, social protection program for older people is being managed by farm, a farm from, uh, you know, from, uh, from, from the UK, you know, the staff, the expatriates, have been sent to Uganda, and they are the ones that are managing this, uh, you know, you know, this farm, this social protection program. You know, so they they, they make the policies, they implemented the pilot program, they evaluated it, and have started uh, and implemented the the, the real program now, and they are in total control and in total leadership of this social protection program. So when we talk about social work, we are you know, also talking about social protection programs for older people. But who is controlling these programs? Who is setting the agenda? It's the expatriates who are brought in rich systems and they are being paid definitely a lot of money to run this, uh, you know, run this program. So how can social workers take control uh, you know, of their own profession and, and provision of their own services? when you still have uh, the international partners uh, dictating the funds, they bring in the funds, but also determine uh, how the funds are spent. They bring the human resource and the expatriates to run the program. So there's, you know, there's structural issues, structural, uh, you know, struggles there that social workers are having uh, to deal with. The same as social workers who are working in non-government organizations, 
most of these non-government organizations are really reliant on donors uh, sending money. And they, we know there's, uh, there's that you know, use of financial privilege to actually determine uh, what gets funded and what kind of social work methods or models are actually used in practice. Thank you for that. Um, like you also mentioned about models and practice. I just want to follow on from that and ask, like, do you think, because you spoke about um, recentering, um, hmm. and I was wondering if that is like, how can social workers recenter social work pract uh, models that they can implement? in their practice mm. so like the western models how can they use it to fit in with like the like you mentioned the african culture or the culture that of the the person that they're supporting um yeah mm. so actually what i'm you know what i'm really advocating for in uh decolonizing uh, decolonizing social work uh in african in african context even social work education and when I'm talking about centering African cultures and African values, I will use an example of uh, the way we teach social work ethics, for example. What do we determine as morally upright or morally wrong uh, when social workers uh, you know, are interfacing with clients or working in the communities? So what I'm advocating for is to define social work define codes of ethics, for example, define ethical practice as determined or as uh, you know, guided by the ways of being of people in the community, you see? So when we talk about what is ethical, it should be, it should be guided by the values of the people in the community and not necessarily what, which might not necessarily be what is appearing uh, internationally in the different, you know, in different codes of ethics. So, for example, uh, you know, when you read different codes of ethics, uh, you know, in, in in social work, there are these ethical principles and ethical responsibilities of, for example, keeping professional boundaries, you know, and uh, and and there are these examples of ensuring uh, a social worker is expected to keep or respect self determination confidentiality, for example, you know, but some of these, uh, you know, some of these concepts, they don't actually align with the way of being, uh, you know, of people in, in, in the African, uh, African communities that are more communal, that are more, you know, valuing more of connection than distance, you know, or boundary, you know, the, 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 these communities where, uh, the we, the we is more, uh, you know, is more dominant, and people are thinking about what their actions are, uh, you know, and how they will impact people in the community. Meaning, when we're talking about self determination, you're not actually talking about the self. You're talking about the collective determination. When you're talking about confidentiality, where the family is at the center, uh, you know, of responding to social problems, you're probably talking about confidentiality that family confidentiality, if such a thing, you know, you know, exists. So it, when we're talking about centering, uh, you know, culturally appropriate social work, I want us to go back to, you know, go back to the roots, look at the communities we are working with, 
look at what their values are, what their philosophies are, and then those kinds of values and philosophies should determine the social work that uh, a social worker and the behave, kind of behavior that we would expect them to have or exhibit when they are in practice. So that means we are rewriting even the codes of ethics you know, to value and to embed, uh, you know, local cultures, local cultural values, uh, which it means, uh, you know, decentering professional boundaries. And we talk about the importance of connection, of relationships. In the African context, there's a lot of value that is placed on relationships. There's a lot of value that is placed on interdependency, where you value, uh, you know, you know, you exist because uh, there is help from someone in the community, and then you're also expected to provide this kind of help if any need arises. So a, a social work that is culturally appropriate would be one that is that is centering relationships, that is centering connection, that is centering, uh, you know, family and collective self-determination, if something like that, uh, you know, you know, exists. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing in social work education. I'm looking forward to social work education that also draws on the metaphors, on the proverbs, uh, you know, that exist in our communities and not necessarily on the theories, uh, you know, Western theories that, uh, you know, that, that have been, uh, you know, have been written about in, in, in different textbooks. Thank you for that. Um, so very clearly, social work um, is a work in progress, very much, um, and she'll be always in learning, um, very much mm. like social workers, really. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and so I and I wanted to touch on something that you mentioned um, in your in the writing in the piece that you did mm. around the academics in Africa or the students who are sort of shunning or avoiding um sort of using african literatures and i and i yeah. wanted to see wanted you to talk a bit more about that if if that's okay mm -hmm. so i write i and i write uh, really so much about uh the devaluing of african uh african oriture or uh, african literature and the devaluing of indigenous knowledges uh, you know, in general, in social work, it's not only in Africa. It's also, uh, you know, something that is uh, that is a, a global a global challenge. Mm. The development of indigenous, you know, indigenous knowledges. And I know in the UK, in Australia, here we have indigenous communities. But you wonder to what extent we actually draw on the indigenous knowledges that uh, you know these communities have, uh, you know, have. And yet, uh, these indigenous people are actually the majority of our, you know, our social work clients. So in Uganda, there is um, there is what I'm referring to as the ideology of the colonized, where the colonized have come to believe that colonial narrative, that Western knowledges and Western worldviews are superior and indigenous knowledges, African ways of being, African ways of doing are inferior or they are you know, backward or primitive. This is pretty much the legacy, uh, the legacy of colonization, which was aimed at uh, the agenda of colonization 
was aimed at creating, uh, you know, people are often writing, creating blacks on the outside, but whites on the inside. For example, if you're teaching social work that you cannot really translate in your local language, who are you there? You know, you, you can only speak it in English. And this English, for example, in Uganda, is only spoken by 30%. So when you're using a social work concept, if you're saying social work, and social work is only understood by 30% of the population, uh, you are really perpetuating uh, uh, perpetuating you know racism and discrimination by talking about a concept that someone you know cannot really even explain or identify identify with. So there is shunning of indigenous knowledge because this is just the legacy of the colonial mentality, the, the colonial mindset that devalued uh, indigenous knowledges, African uh, literature, African languages. Can you imagine African languages are not really taught in schools? So I am here, I have a PhD, but I'm not able to write my indigenous language. Although I can speak it very well, thanks to the community that has been able to, you know, to teach me my language. In the school where I would have learned this language, uh, I didn't learn it because the emphasis was on, uh, you know, was on English, was on the foreign languages. And, and, and that's, where, that's where we were punished you know, punished very heavily. All the effort was put on uh, learning English so that we're able to master it. But you know what is surprising? You come here and reach in, uh, you know, in a reach in these countries, I'm um, in Australia, and I have been forced to do international English language tests, for example, to prove my English. Yet from, my, uh, from the year of uh, five, I've actually been learning in English. So I used to say um, my first language is English because in Uganda, I've already studied in English. But when I reached here, they said, hey, you are not actually, your first language is not English. So you need to prove to us that you can actually speak, you know, speak, speak English. So there is that double loss. You don't know your own language and you think you know English, but when you come here, they also tell you you don't know English and you're not English. So there's that double loss that people who have experienced colonization, uh, you know, really experience. So I, I want to touch on why there is persistent devaluing of African literature, African knowledges, and how does it manifest? So for some of us who are in, uh, you know, publications, writing publications, the devaluing or valuing of Western literature as superior manifests in, for example, what the journals are interested in. So most uh, high impact journals, they are really interested in Western theories and Western knowledges for that case. You know, when you write your African knowledges or indigenous, uh, you know, indigenous theories, it's very difficult to get your paper accepted, you know, because what is centered is this, uh, you know, the, the Western theories. And also, you know, the number one challenge, you know, in uh, that man the shows manifestation of ideology of, of uh, you know, of, uh, of the colonized, is this colonial thinking that Western theories and Western knowledges are superior. I tell you, Osei Wedi, who has been, uh, you know, a, a social worker from Botswana, who has really been writing uh, a lot about indigenization of social work, in 2019, he actually stated that people still, people in Africa still believe, most of them still believe that 
Western theories are fashionable, they are global, they are universal. And therefore, African knowledges, African theories actually have no place. And there is research, uh, I've, I've recently read research by Gibru, I think he's called Gibru and Wako. They've done research in Ethiopia. And what the academics in Ethiopia told them, they told them that they use and value Western theories and Western knowledges in order to get acceptance. So when you, when, when the, the, the argument is that when you write about or teach, uh, you know, teach indigenous knowledges and indigenous literature, that will uh, impact on your international uh, marketability of the graduates and even the social work academics. So for them to gain acceptance, they are relying mostly on, uh, on Western theories because this is when we'll get cited, this is when we'll get, uh, this is when we will get our PhDs and PhD dissertations, for example, also, you know, like sort of favorably examined. There is fear among students to also use uh, indigenous literature and, uh, you know, indigenous theories for fear that maybe they might be marked down or they, you know, they might not pass, uh, you know, pass the, 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 their PhD. So what it gets valued in academia, in journal articles, in, uh, in, 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 in social work, uh, literature, different channels is usually uh, the Western theories, and this is forcing, you know, forcing uh, social work academics to actually, you know, uh, center these Western, uh, you know, Western theories. Yeah, because when you even look at the, the promotions, the promotions they are encouraging, uh, you know, you, you need to publish, for example, in high impact journals. And high-impact journals are most likely to accept your work if you're using and citing uh, citing Western theory, uh, Western theorists, you know. And that just becomes like a cycle. If you want a publication in a high-impact journal, then you need to cite the, the 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 Western authors who are in these uh, high-impact journals. And then the 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 African literature, indigenous literature, will just remain in the you know in the margins. So the devaluing is coming from uh, the acceptance of the thinking, colonial thinking that Western theories are, you know, are superior. The, the the urge to get acceptance from the West, but then also there is lack of information. There is lack of information about, uh, you know, indigenous knowledges and indigenous theories, and this is really coming from the inequality in knowledge production, for example. So how many people are writing about indigenous theories and linking them to social work? You know, it's, it's still very few. The literature is still, is just growing. But then also the literature in the, that is coming from the South is also just still growing. So that also, uh, you know, brings about the lack of, uh, you know, value to that indigenous literature because of its, uh, you know, lack of information that this literature even exists and lack of, uh, you know, more production of uh, you know of this this literature, you know. So in general, I think that's uh, that, that's that, that's that, that's the that scenario of devaluing uh, you know indigenous literature, indigenous uh, indigenous knowledges, which I think we must disrupt. You know, by engaging more in production in writing. So, for example, most of my writing is actually uh, you know bring. Uh, 
the relevancy of indigenous knowledges in social work. So for example, when I'm talking about concepts like family, I try to bring in the different perspectives of family, how family is understood and defined differently. I talk about self-care recently, uh, my article, I think yesterday actually about decolonizing self-care. It has been published uh, in, one of the, in one of the journals. And I'm talking about the self that is intertwined with the collective. So it's not really about only the individual, it's about the collective and how the collective works together to provide care, you know, you know. So when we talk about self, it's not just about the individual I am, I think therefore I am. It's also about the community. It's also about the individual being seen as interdependent or in coexistence, uh, you know, with others in the community and how that would translate into what we would call the self intertwined with collective care. So the way we define concepts, if we value the diversity in understanding these concepts, it would actually bring about the valuing of uh, you know, indigenous knowledges and indigenous uh, you know, perspectives in social work. Wow. Uh Thank you very much for that for that point. And I and I just want to quickly um and this one won't need to take us a long long time yeah. to answer. Mm. I just yeah. wanted to quickly ask. So going back to the challenges which you presented so well, mm. I just wonder when it comes to say for example, kind of defining or finding a word for social work in an indigenous language, say in Uganda, who mm. is it? How do we come around? And, and and work that are how do we work with the community to establish a sort of understanding of common words that may signify social work in in their indigenous language is it time is that something that we can kind of work start to work toward you know absolutely and uh they they there is already some work that is being done uh you know by uh twitch who is going in the community it sending students in the community to actually explore, uh, you know, explore the models that the communities are using to respond to social problems. So that these kinds of models are the ones that are used when we are training, uh, you know, or teaching social workers. So for us to be able to really have a, a local term for social work, we must go to the community. We must go back to the community. And maybe the way they define social work might actually be very different, you know, from what we really think the legitimate social work is. So we must be ready to actually, uh, you know, respect or sort of value the community's ways of defining, uh, you know, social work and who the social work is, the social worker is. So I've tried to do this on... Uh, you know, through informal channels, I would really love to do research, uh, you know, bottom-up research where I go to the communities to actually ask them, uh, you know, what they would call, uh, you know, a social worker or how they would respond to, you know, different uh, social problems, which is what really social workers do. And uh, so I've tried to ask and, uh, you know, informally in my, you know, in my, the communities I've interacted with because I've grown up in the rural area, and when, when you try to, you know, probe a little bit further, they tend to use, for example, social worker in relation to philosophies like Ubuntu, 
there's been a lot of literature now on, on Ubuntu. And there is one, uh, you know, one in one community where they were telling me that a social worker would be someone with, with Ubuntu, with that humanness, someone who values the humanness, you know, of, of, of other people. So I guess the terms or the concepts that we will have will be in the local language, and these uh, local language terms would be like carrying or encapsulating uh, the indigenous philosophies of those communities. And it's a hard task. It's a difficult task because we have a diversity of languages. For example, in Uganda, we have over 56. So it's a task that the community has to get, you know, get engaged in. But that's the, that's the route because I think social work, like I said, is more of the professionals. It's detached. Social work is detached from the community because anyway, the theories that we teach are not really relevant uh, to the communities. The ways of responding to social problems, for example, here they talk about social welfare or welfare state. This, I have not experienced the welfare state in, in Uganda. Uh, I think I've experienced a community-led uh, you know, way of responding to social problems, meaning if we go in the community, we are going to actually have a social work in concepts that are local, that are embedded in local languages, that also center local philosophies. Okay, um, thank you for that. We've learned so much today um, and we really appreciate you being here. Um, that is the end of our podcast. So yeah, thank you for today, Dr. Charlotte. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for uh, inviting me and for showing interest in, uh, in disrupting uh, racism. I think mostly uh, what I've been talking about is the disruption of, uh, you know, of epistemic, epistemic racism, where I would love to see social work that values diversity in knowledges and not only centering uh, what Western uh, knowledges and ways of conceptualizing social work. So I really thank you so much for your time. How Does the Social Work is produced by Yohai Hakak and edited by Vimal Dalal. If you liked our podcast, please give us a like and share it with your friends. To find out more about Brunel's Social Work programme, please check out our webpages at brunel.ac.uk forward slash social work or follow us on Facebook or Twitter.